Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also going to blow the lid off how you watch Looney Tunes. You know, Looney Tunes. I uh, actually, I wrote a script uh, that won a contest recently. And so they were doing a table read of it. And somebody asked me what my comedy influences were. And I think the first thing that came up was Looney Tunes. It really, really formatted my brain in a lot of ways, comedy wise, especially because my script, it was like a half hour animated thing. Uh, so, you know, the animation really plays into uh, everything Chuck Jones and Frizz Freeling and all them did really important for me. But I am amazed to learn how that came together because it came together to make someone mad. As you may know, the Looney Tunes shorts were made at Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers assigned a guy named Eddie Selzer uh, to be the producer running Warner Brothers cartoons in 1947. And it turns out that Eddie would constantly give very imperious, very stupid orders to the team of geniuses working for him. He would just burst in and say, I want it this way and that way and the other way. And he was always wrong. Uh, he just had this astounding ability to do that. You'd never know watching the cartoons at home. But for instance, Eddie once came in and said, you guys cannot put Sylvester and Tweety in the same cartoon. They need to be in separate cartoons. If you want to have a bird with Sylvester the cat, it needs to be a woodpecker because that is obviously the funniest bird. I'm Eddie Selzer. Goodbye. And then he just slammed the door. Apparently he was he was very hard to talk to in all these stories. His team ignored that. They did a Sylvester the Cat and Tweety Bird cartoon, you know, the one you're familiar with, and it won the first Oscar ever won by Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes would go on to win five Oscars, and that award success and the success of you still loving those tunes came from them continuing to ignore Eddie. Uh, one time he burst in and said, no skunks. That's it. Just no skunks aren't funny. We're not going to do skunks. Then they got Pepe Le Pew. Then they got their second Oscar. Uh, he also once told them that camels are not funny. Don't do that. He also told them bullfighting is not funny. And that led to two Bugs Bunny classics. There's one called Sahara Hare, where he's being chased around by Yosemite Sam on a camel in the desert. There's a lot of good camel gags in that. We'll, we'll link things about him. Like the camel gets hit on the head and then it has a lump on its head instead of a lump on its back. You know, great stuff. Then he, he fights a bull. That one's just straightforward. Uh, they also then redid one of those and got another Oscar for that. And so all along this way, producer Eddie Selzer is receiving award after award after Oscar for cartoons that he told the team to not make. But as master animator Chuck Jones once said, quote, if Eddie said no, we knew we had to do it. And that brings us into the topic of today's episode. We're talking about the most incredible things ever done purely out of spite. One more time, that topic is the most incredible things ever done purely out of spite, because uh, we're digging into times when people moved heaven and earth and achieved incredible feats that they would never otherwise do because they wanted to make someone mad or get back at someone. Uh, most of what we're looking at is either construction or art. I, I think those are kind of the two big buckets of it, but there's all kinds of different things. And for this topic, I'm joined by two returning guests, phenomenal comedians and, and just total gentlemen, Billy Wayne Davis and Rivers Langley. Both Billy and Rivers, they, they have that quality that I think a lot of great stand-ups have uh, where they, they get into someone's head and then build the material out of just the, the true examination of what that person must have been thinking at the time. Uh, so I just couldn't wait to sick them on these stories of people who built houses and derailed the entire music industry and did other enormous things just to get back at someone. And we did exactly that. So please sit back or sit there stewing and stewing until you're at a strong revenge boil, because that's when the spite achievements blossom, baby. Either way, here's this fun episode of the Cracked Podcast with Billy Wayne Davis and Rivers Langley. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I don't want to like justify these spite achievements necessarily, but like, what are they thinking? What are they doing? You know? Yeah. Uh, some of them, when I think about having money, 
Oh, things that I would do about it. out of spite, top the <laughs> list of shit I would do. You know what I mean? Like if left to my own devices, like I, I yeah, a lot of things I would do would would be out of spite. What's number one. So I'm still technically banned from the city pool in uh in in Auburn, Alabama, because <laughs> I was I was making too much of a ruckus when I was 13, and they uh, they banned me for life for splashing a lifeguard. Oh, and boy. Uh, so I'd buy that pool. Have and you fill tried it in. going back? Uh, I mean, you know, a lifetime ban when you're 13. I think I'm sure I could I get back. Still, I think that's a lifetime <laughs> I, of you're banned while you're 13. I think that's yeah, what that yeah, ban yeah. means. Yeah, but the point is, I'd fill in that pool because. Fuck Auburn City Pool. <laughs> well, that, I mean, can I say something about that? Is a rich person move? Oh yeah, oh which yeah. Which is like, yeah. Fuck all these other poor people because they did something wrong to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd be, I'd be Crocker in the spike. That's fence. amazing that the second you get money, you become petty. Uh huh. Yeah. Pettiness is uh is a trait. That is enhanced by wealth. Like most most people, I are, think all traits are enhanced. By oh wealth. yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. I, I think yeah, I yeah. think I, we all know very petty poor people too. Yeah, but you you don't have as much, uh, especially it, being in comedy. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. I guess it's actually comedy is nothing but petty poor people. Petty poor people is what. <laughs> but but a lot of it, you know, a lot of us don't have the means to really chase down the the extent of the fuckery that we would do. If we were handed a bunch of money, you know what I mean? Well, we just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The, time yeah. is money. Hey, because yeah. I was thinking about that on the way here was like a lot of the problem with the justice system in our country. It's that the consequences aren't the same and it's an easily yeah, sure. s- solved problem. I forget what country in the Netherlands does it where that guy got a speeding ticket in in I think it's Norway and I'm probably wrong or Finland one of those you know I said the oh, Netherlands I think we actually we did there was an episode once we did where we covered like Finnish uh, progressive speeding tickets yes like because the richer you are you get a it's you a get percentage a it, no it's just a percentage so the yeah. it's a percentage of your income is what wow. it is so if yeah. you're poor it's you know it's still a lot of your income yeah but if you're rich it's also <laughs> yeah they gave they gave <laughs> a six-figure ticket to like the number two person at nokia and a five-figure ticket to hockey great timu salani yeah wow because he has a lot of money because they have a lot of money i'm super on yeah. board with this <laughs> yeah because like i remember i was toured with this guy when i first started and he had a ton of money and we were like an hour and a half from this venue and he was like yo we need to get there in an hour. Oh. And he was like, you're driving. And I was like, <laughs> I can't. He was like, no, no, no. If we get pulled over, I'll pay. it's worth it. I make way more on this gig than I'll get. So it's worth it to get there on time. Of course, we oh, didn't yeah. get pulled over, but I was like, oh. Interesting. So this is not fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's like you'll see like Maseratis on Rodeo Drive with like 15 parking tickets. Like, yeah, it's fuck. not. Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> right. because it's like those banks, HSBC, <laughs> who did the money laundering thing yes. where they just put in their budget. We pay when we get caught doing this. Here's the money for the fees. We'll make yeah. more. If we do it this way and just pay the fees of being illegal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why, why you can't be mad at them. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's absolutely a, a logical conclusion to come to. With the Maserati parking ticket, it's like conceptually, it's like purchasing a ticket. Right. It's it's like we're yeah. like, I would like to see a movie. I will pay twelve dollars. They're like, I would like to park wherever I want. I will pay a hundred dollars <laughs> for twelve $100. hours. Like, yeah, no yes. problem. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to park at Louis Vuitton <laughs> for 16 hours, please. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Rivers, you mentioned the Crocker store. Uh, off the cuff before and maybe yes. maybe that's a good first one because this I feel like this uh, spite move of the wealthy it's also across the centuries and this yes. is a story from 1876 yeah so uh, Charles Crocker who is uh, he's considered what they call the big four of the California railroad industry so uh, he created the Central yeah. Pacific Railroad along with Mark Hopkins Leland Stanford and Collis Huntington and uh, his his big contribution was was organizing the actual labor force to build the transcontinental railroad well, I'm setting all this up to show what a dickhead he was <laughs> Charles Crocker is actually uh, largely credited for bringing in the large uh, Chinese population to build the railroad mm. and he famously worked them to death Like they finished the Transcontinental Railroad. The government deadline was nine years after they actually finished it. 
So they, oh my God. they finished the Transcontinental Railroad oh no. nine years ahead of schedule because this guy was just like, you're going to work 20 hours a day or we're going to send you back to China. Maybe he just didn't like his wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't do any of this. This guy was... Uh, I'm sure he wasn't at home either. <laughs> I mean, maybe not, but uh, it, it's worth noting that, uh, that Charles Crocker was six feet tall and weighed 300 pounds, uh, which ain't shit today, but back in the back in those days was uh he was a large yeah, he was a large that's, man that's yeah, fucking yeah. pretty big today too <laughs> i mean it's big today but you know it's also you know because i'm six yeah. foot one and i weigh like around 190 yeah so you're putting yeah. a lot of weight on me yeah plus 50 percent <laughs> or so and then there you go yeah yeah. yeah yeah and at least you know six pounds for that mustache and the, and the goatee that he had <laughs> right uh, big hats and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway yeah so he you know bring brings in all these laborers and basically tries to kill them in creating the railroad, which they finally finished the Transcontinental Railroad, May 10th, 1869. So while all this is going on, there's this guy, Nicholas Young, uh, who moves to the U.S. from Germany in 1848. He builds a house in San Francisco on top of California Street Hill, which would later be known as Knob Hill. In 1855, when he builds the house... It's just like a, you know, nice, big, steep hill in San Francisco. It overlooks the bay. You get these great, you know, ocean breezes yeah. coming in. But it's a hard hill to walk up. So it's not, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere until they build the uh, the cable car system mm-hmm. up in uh, up in San Francisco. So the uh, cable cars <laughs> open in 1878 and all of a sudden now it becomes the most expensive real estate in the city because everybody wants to, those days before air conditioning, wants to live up on the hill to catch those nice Pacific breezes. So yeah. Stamford and Hopkins both build these giant mansions up on the top of Knob Hill. And then Crocker comes along. He's like, I want me one of those. And the custom at the time was to just raise, like buy up the neighborhood for pennies on the dollar and then just raise. Oh, was that just yeah. at that time? Well, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did that go out of style? Yeah, it stopped, it stopped being a Did thing. rich people stop doing that? Yeah. <laughs> but they would buy up entire blocks. You know, they'd be kicking out like 20 families yeah, at a time. Do they don't do like that, that in San Francisco yeah. right now. Yeah, no, either. that's not, yeah. yeah. It's not happening at all. <laughs> so they they, they kick everybody out and, and Young, who, by the way, was a, a mortu- mortuary owner. He was an undertaker. Was so German. I that love was, it. That was his gig. He wouldn't sell. Uh, Crocker offers him $6,000 to sell and he wants twelve. And Crocker, yeah. whose entire gig was, in addition to hiring railroad laborers, also buying up the right of way for the Transcontinental Railroad. So just throwing people. And people that do that are always upfront and honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. He's he's buying up, using eminent domain. And the justification of a greater good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always positive in the end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. People use that for, yeah. <laughs> so he won't sell. He says. And Char- right. Charles Crocker just decides like, well, he'll sell eventually and just starts building the mansion. So he raises everything in the neighborhood except for Young's house. Yeah, the whole block. Yeah. The whole block is gone and he just starts building the mansion. And meanwhile, this guy's just like, fuck you, I'm not moving <laughs> unless you give me $12,000. And so they start building the house. So the first thing he does is in order to clear the block, he has to set off a bunch of dynamite to level out the lands. So he tells the construction crew to sort of aim the, the dynamite so the debris <laughs> will hit Young's house. So he tries to blow him up first, essentially. No. <laughs> he tried to shrapnel He tried him. to shrapnel him. That yeah, he's not he blowing was, up. He was shelling him. You were maiming. You're not killing. <laughs> he was sh- totally was, different thing. Yeah. He was, he was shelling him. A little yeah. loose debris among pounds. Like, yeah. It was yeah. assault if it was anything, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't work. The The San Francisco Times, the way they describe this is so funny. So he, he dynamites out the and he leaves Young's house, quote, floating on a rectangular dirt pedestal, <laughs> which I have seen. I have seen this exact thing. Like the house? In my, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh. No, this, this phenomenon in my hometown in Auburn, Alabama, yeah. same thing, because they Auburn won't quit upping their attend, you know, their, uh, their enrollments. And so they just keep knocking down neighborhoods and building these ungodly huge condos everywhere that are right near the football stadium. There was one person who did this exact thing where they were building this huge condo. And this person who had this very small home, like maybe a two bedroom at the most 
basically was like, fuck you, I'm not selling. And they started building the condo around it. And it was exactly as this described, floating on a rectangular dirt pedestal. <laughs> just a fuck you. Like they dropped off every bit that wasn't their property. <laughs> so it's just sitting there floating. Um, right. who, who among us doesn't love a Looney Tunes cliff for a backyard? Yeah, that's you know? exactly what that's this is. That's the way to live. Yeah. So uh, finally, after he, after he just like tries to, tries, to shra- tries to shell him and then also leaves him on a floating on a rectangular dirt pedestal. Finally, just for funsies, Crocker offers him twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> the thing he was asking for, at which point Young was like, "Fuck you, no." <laughs> so yeah, yeah he, no, the price went up because price, of some combat pay. Because you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the price went up. So, so you think now after that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the 12 grand. Yeah, yeah. No. Right. You misread who I am as you, a human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think okay. the other dude is like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I think there's like there's a layer of bitterness among both of them. Yeah, for sure. Really but, coming into well, there's play a now. stubbornness. Stubborn. Yeah, stubbornness. Stubbornness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not spiteful. In the other, like, the other guy's not spiteful. The other guy's like, no, I mean, if you would have came at me respectfully right. and treating right. me like another human being or like a rich, like you would treat a rich person, yeah. another rich person, then we could have done business. Right. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I'm i a poor person that also has integrity and self-respect. Yeah. So yeah. game on, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I come from these exact Germans that I understand it completely. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing like, is yeah. like people think Germans are efficient. They're not efficient. They're particular. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a different thing. <laughs> it's not, it's not, they're not efficient. They're particular. Yep. <laughs> and again, this is one of the top four richest people in California. Like he could right. so easily make this go away. But instead, Crocker spends $3,000 on a 40-foot tall fence. <laughs> that surrounds the property on three sides, including the east side and the west side where the winds come from. So now uh, yeah, Young yeah. described living behind the spite fence as his family living at the bottom of a well. <laughs> this is a two story home with a 40 foot tall fence on three of the four sides. <laughs> Right. right at the property line. So they're just essentially living in the, and there's a picture of it, by the way. You can Google this. If you Google yeah. San Francisco spite fence, there's an old black and white picture of <laughs> where they were just taking a picture of the mansion, but you can see the spite fence in the background and like the little chimneys just barely sticking up beyond the, beyond the fence. Because <laughs> it's not a, not a fence where light's coming through. No. Like it's just a, no. a, a wall style fence. The young family, uh, they had to light candles all day <laughs> in the daytime. There was no sunlight coming into the home and all of their plants died. Uh, <laughs> that's when the canyon showed up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the spite fence quickly becomes a sightseeing attraction because it's right on the right on the cable car line. So San Franciscans oh, yeah. <laughs> and what was happening and this is the 1870s. Right. So what's happening is like the you know, the economy is falling apart uh, as it tends to do in cycles. And this is one of those downtimes where and again, this this is completely unrelatable today where, uh, yeah, you know, again. three or four people have an astounding amount of wealth and everyone else is starving on the streets and dying. <laughs> and so the spite fence became kind of a rallying point against the rich man uh, op- oppressing the common man. And rightly so. Yeah. In those times, nobody's just at home watching TV. They're no. like, I need things to do. And yeah. I have nothing but books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do I do? They take the cable car and go look at the big Yeah, fence. well, because the newspapers yeah. talking about this constantly, they refer to it as Crocker's Crime. Uh, <laughs> it's how it was, it was called in the papers. And uh, so people are coming to see it. And then there, there's this guy, Dennis Kearney, who starts the Workman's Party of California. And they are an organizing force for laborers. And they're also extremely racist against Chinese people. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of this party. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So Dennis Kearney yeah. organizes the first night, uh, uh, organized the uh, the WPC at the spite fence. <laughs> he had his first rally for this. And if you read the transcript of it, it's literally like <laughs> it's not entirely unlike reading like, you know, the Unabomber manifesto or something where you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Wait, what? No, 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 no. Like, because he's literally like, <laughs> kill the capitalist pigs. Right. Like, and fuck you, need- Chinese people. You're like, right. wait, what? <laughs> like, the economy needs to be more equal. 
for just one race. For and you're the like, whites. ah, no, you're uh, like, uh, half, uh, half of it was great. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so there's that little little side. Th- so uh, That's incredible. They Crocker ties up Young in court because they're he's trying to sue him to get him off his ass. And because <laughs> he's one of the most rich people in California and was at one point, by the way, Crocker was a California state legislator. So he's very, of course he is. very easily <laughs> able to tie him up in court. Because um, you know who else has time <laughs> to time run money. for office? Yeah. yeah. Is a wealthy, wealthy man who has poor people doing stuff for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Breaking their backs and dying. Right. Especially right. when it's a new state and the population is like 200. Right. You know? Then right. that guy runs and wins. Yep. Yeah. His last little uh, uh, act of defiance here, Young uh, puts a coffin on the roof. Whoa. As like a fuck you to, to Crocker. <laughs> but the thing is, the coffin is not big enough to poke out over the fence so he can't actually see it so well, and he's an undertaker so he's got him laying around well, that's that's what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. he brought yeah, one home yeah. from work and like put it on the on the roof it's like <laughs> fuck you eventually uh, young has the house moved uh so they move the house <laughs> but he still owns the land and so crocker because he's an asshole keeps the fence up to devalue the land <laughs> so he keeps the fence up and then eventually both of them die so they don't settle this. They both. What do they die up? Uh, just, you know, old, age, they, old oh, age and presumably uh, gout for the other guy. Well, know? I just think. <laughs> I, I, well, gout is still around, too. That's interesting. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, humans yeah, are man. still just fucking ass. The gout is the is the product of you being a stubborn dickhead. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's still around. I even I think I know multiple people with gout who are comedians. Like, yeah, even because they're stubborn assholes that are like, I don't have to eat vegetables or drink water. <laughs> I tell jokes for a living. You know what I like? Every weekend, every weekend's a vacation for me. <laughs> Why don't I have any money? <laughs> I like potted meat and beer. What could go wrong? Both of them die. Yeah. Uh, and they finally, the young family in 1904. So damn near 30 years later, 1904. Yeah. Finally, they sell it to the Crockers. They finally sell the lot to the Crockers. And that's 1904. And in 1906, the San Francisco earthquake happens and the entire city burns down, including the Crocker Mansion. (laughs) Uh, The entire Crocker Mansion burned down. And now it is the home of Grace Cathedral, which is on that spot now. So that is. uh, So after all that, they sell it in 1904. Two years later, the whole the whole mansion goes up in flames. Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think Young kind of wins out in the end, I think. Well, what's also (laughs) insane but it also just sucks that nature has to step in to to allow poor people a win. You know <laughs> poor what I mean? Poor people get a win? They didn't take over that property? Yeah, but a symbolic it, win at least. No. None. That <laughs> dude's already dead and that yeah. thing. And I guarantee you the earthquake didn't set that thing on fire. Somebody just walked by and was like, this is a good time to burn that <laughs> motherfucker down. Because that's how also people think. Yeah. They're like, chaos is running amok. Now is our time. <laughs> and instead, if they're really thinking, they were like, let's claim some land. Because yeah. this shit has, it's not the same anymore. There's a thing with that earthquake where the fire department and the mayor screwed up and they basically, they tried to make fire breaks, which is where you blow stuff up in the path of the fire so yeah. it can't burn. But they used gunpowder, which is flammable. <laughs> So like so the, more, the more tale of that earthquake just, is that like the military and government most burned down a lot more of the city than they needed to <laughs> by accident. So it probably was somebody was just like, I don't know, why don't I just burn the fence down? Well, that is the time. Well, and with the with the phenomenon of this architecture and, and this spite, there's a story here from Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, it's a building just called the Spite House. It was built in 1830. There's a man named John Hollinsbury who had an alley behind his house, and he was sick of people loitering in it and driving loud wagons down it, because 1830. And so he <laughs> built a seven-foot-wide house just in the entrance to the alley to block it. And it's also like, it will we'll link a picture. It looks like a regular house. It's two stories, which I don't think it would need to be to block the alley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just a really, really specific. He was like, if I'm going to block this alley, I'm going to build an entire home to do it. <laughs> that's that's how I'm going to do things. People are just doing this in towns all over the world. It's and, great. And that's Alexander. That's outside of D.C. So I assume someone lives in the Spite House and it's costing him like three grand a month. <laughs> right. Or some lobbyist group. Yeah, yeah, it's or or, or it's the it out, yeah. it's the embassy for like a really small country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
There's also a, there's a story here about the Freeport, New York Miracle House is what it's called. And it's called the Miracle House because they built it in, an, in one day. Oh, uh, I in, like this story. In yes. 1902, there was a developer named John Randall who knew that a rival developer was going to extend a road in the city and make Freeport like a grid system. And he had a triangular piece of land that that would have affected. So in one day, he built a two-story, seven-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bathroom house on the land so that they couldn't put a road through it. And to this day, the city's not on a regular grid and and, uh, hard to get around. (laughs) He was like, no, I'm not into it, and built a mansion. Let's do a few more structures. This isn't a house, but in the town of Westford, Vermont, and this is from an article, Five Impressive Things Built Entirely Out of Spite by Ian Forty. Westford, Vermont is near Burlington. It's in the northern part of Vermont. And there was a man named Ted Pelkey. Uh, He wanted to build an 8,000-square-foot garage. And the town council and laws and stuff, they obstructed him for 10 years straight. And so then he was like, fine, I will use my land for something else. And he spent $4,000 carving a 700-pound block of pine into a giant middle finger. Yes. Just a hand doing a middle finger that he then put up on a 16-foot pole (laughs) and floodlit 24 hours a day. The most (laughs) passive-aggressive Vermont shit ever. I don't think that's passive-aggressive. Yeah? That feels very aggressive. Is that directly aggressive? I think that is is, you are... You aren't being like, no, just, you know, you were going, hey, even at night. <laughs> right, right. Fuck you. The floodlighting even to me at is night. really well, choice. And I agree with him. The state motto of New, or, or no, that's New Hampshire. Yeah. It's live for your yeah. So That's next door. He should have moved. The state motto yeah. of Vermont <laughs> is, uh, uh, it's a fish lyric. It's mama sing sing when you got a jaboo. Like you want some ice cream with candy in it? That's the official <laughs> yeah, motto yeah. of Vermont. As far as Vermont culture goes, I do know it's it's at least a little bit of a gun state and like there's some New England inv- individualism there. Oh, yeah, so no, for sure. May- maybe it is a little bit passive to merely erect a giant middle finger and not enact violence. I don't know. Yeah. Something there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why do you need an 8,000 square foot garage, though, too? It, I, I imagine it would be like easily the biggest building in town. It's for all my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> 8,000 square feet None of None of your fucking business. Yeah, yeah. 8,000 square feet of secrets. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's definitely a thing where, where, like, I would rather just have the $4,000 on my land still. But he was like, no, I'm going to build this thing and do all this planning and, and yeah. set everything up. Yeah. And, and uh, again, to my point at the beginning I of this mean, episode, if I had money, I'd be doing stuff like this. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and as of December 2018, it was still up because that's right around when it was put up. It was very recent. Oh. And also, apparently, legally, the finger qualifies as art. Yeah, in, yeah, in like yeah. a legal sense, and so it actually has like a lot of protections, and it's pretty oh, hard I for him to get down. T you, he looked all that up. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. This is a man with some free time. Well, he this is, is all like I like. <laughs> I enjoy due diligence, smartassery like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like, oh, you're gonna pull a power move, right? Because of some perceived, perceived injustice. Injustice. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my research and I'm going to be a real big smart ass. I think that's what will that's truly what keeps rich people from doing exactly what they want all the time. It are these tiny little loopholes and these stubborn people who just keeping the them in check where they're yeah. like, OK, all right, I've got a little bit saved up. You want to fuck with me? <laughs> you want to fuck with us? Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. I admire that. I, I mean, Bernie that Sanders quality. is that dude. Yeah, hell yeah. He's yeah, been yeah. doing it for 60 yeah. years. Yeah, He's yeah, like, yeah. I Just, believe this, and we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And then they've been like, well, what if you do it this way? He's like, no. No. Fuck you. <laughs> Go watch my tapes from the 70s. Go I've been watch. saying the same shit for <laughs> half a century. That's why you don't have shit on me. Yeah. <laughs> I've never changed Fuck my mind. You. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> and when I'm wrong, I admit it. Yeah. And that's a dangerous person. Yep. That's, yeah. It's not spite as much as integrity to these people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, no, you're going to give me what it's worth. Because eminent domain comes in and is like, 
this is what this is worth now. Right, right. And it's not. So you get fucked on all your stuff. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, and it's those people who are like, I can't afford to build a transcontinental railroad. Yeah. But you can't afford my dignity. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, I, those I, solid Germans from the past. Very, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that due diligence idea you bring up because like, I would imagine the internet has made these spite achievements much, much more common, easier to do. Like, because you can just Google your way to a lot of the steps of it yeah. and the laws of it. When you've got the internet, you've got such a direct pathway to this thing. Yeah. The, the smart attitude that Billy was talking about becomes, you know, you get a different motivation for it, which I almost don't like that. It's 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 funnier when it's a guy, you know, building a, a giant pine middle finger <laughs> for his own purposes than it would be for somebody to see that as an opportunity to grow their brand on Instagram or some shit. Like, I guarantee you, the man, this this guy. Well, that's a monetary thing. That that yeah. I think the internet brings in a different motivation than just fuck you. Yeah, that's true. It brings in an, <laughs> in uh, a disingenuous fuck you. It's like the Wall Street Journal or Forbes are being like, those tweets are like, here's how you could save money. You, you don't tip, knowing <laughs> that the internet is going to explode on that, yeah. but it drives traffic yep. to their fucking site, thus making them money. Yeah. Which right. I think that's what the internet does in these cases of the spite, where it's like you can get motivated around the wrong thing, or it's not oh, what you yeah. think it is. Yeah. It's just somebody saying some bullshit. It's, uh, I mean, it's just all disingenuous. Well, also I want to look at um, one story here because it's it's a little bit driven by the internet as as a tool to do it. It's uh, the gay pride house across from Westboro Baptist Church. You actually have the guy's name in front of you, I think, right? Oh, yeah, it's uh, Aaron Jackson is an organizer. Yeah, yeah. so the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, in case there's anybody <laughs> case out there who know. doesn't know, is the uh, militantly anti-gay church based in Topeka, Kansas, uh, which yeah. was originally founded by for, uh, Reverend Fred Phelps. Yeah, they ruin uh, ruin funerals for veterans and so on. Yeah, well, yeah. so... It's like, They're well, the ones that no had one... the, thing, the signs that said God hates fags. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, similar to that, where it's like, okay, well, we're not going to get any press just be in a church. What's right. the quickest way to get people pissed? It's like, well, uh, people love veterans and people are real protective yeah. of funerals. Let's combine those things and go show up and protest funerals of soldiers. Yeah. And so they're real bad. They're yeah. real bad. So in Topeka, Kansas, because I've driven through there before, I was driving through and I, you know, I was like trying to think. I was like, what is, what's the thing in Topeka? Like I couldn't remember. And oh. then as I was like driving, I was like, Oh shit! The Westboro Baptist Church is here. So I actually have gone and seen this this oh. spite building. So the Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka. By the way, the only other thing in Topeka is uh, when you hear the phrase "the Brown versus the Board of Education." The next three words are "of Topeka, Kansas." So there oh, is the Brown yeah. Brown v. Board like memorial there, and then also the, the Westboro cool. Baptist Church. It's so. the state capital of Kansas, and that too. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's Where exactly all the laws in Kansas are made. So if you're like, hey, why is this state backwards? <laughs> yeah, it's Topeka. There's a lot going on. There. Yeah, so there's three <laughs> things to do in Topeka, and I did the worst one of the three, which is to go see the Westboro Baptist Church, and I, I actually have a uh, a picture of me wearing my uh, Leuven Brothers uh, Satan is Real t-shirt, giving the double thumbs up in front of the big banner that says GodHatesAmerica.com uh, <laughs> oh my God. in front of the church. But yeah, and it's like a big compound. I'm not, all, I don't all, know if they're wrong about that. Uh, yeah, no. I don't know. <laughs> and I think he's got some quality reasons to be upset. <laughs> Fred, I yeah. agree with you, but not in the way you want. <laughs> right. Well, it's back to the back to the guy being like, uh, you know, fuck capitalism and Chinese people. You're like, wait, what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stop. Stop that thought halfway through, please. But you, so you've, you've swung through. That's yeah. Amazing. So I, I, I took the picture and then it was right when this was going down. When uh, yeah. when the oh, man, this this house. Yeah. So yeah. guy buys the house across the street and paints it rainbow and has gay flag, gay pride flags all over the house. Just just as a, <laughs> as a fuck you to the Phelps family. Weirdly, like towards the end, Fred Phelps gets excommunicated from his own church by his daughter, who's more hardcore than he is. Man. And, and they were like, they turned on him in the end. So. Well, they're all lawyers, too. They're yeah. All, like, yeah. She's a lawyer. Phelps was a lawyer. Phelps was a prominent civil rights lawyer. Like right. Phel way, way Phelps was day. one of the people who worked on Brown v. Board. Man. And so he was like a prominent civil rights attorney. And then his entire beef with the gay community happened because he like 
went to the park and there were like two guys like, cru- you know, cruising the parking lot or something. And so it started oh. off as this big like he organized this big protest to get cruisers out of his local park. <laughs> so proving that all politics is fucking local. It was just yeah. like, like, I don't want dudes kissing in my park. And that was that's why he and then now, he's right. the, you know, and he's dead now. But now his <laughs> his group is is what it is because of because of that little that little thing. That's so, amazing. So, yeah, it's a, it starts off. Everything starts off with with petty grievance, when, you know, spite and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and because because I've never it's been fear. to Topeka. That's fear. Yeah. That started course. with fear. Yeah. yeah. He got afraid that these guys trying to make each other come. Right. We're going <laughs> right. to destroy his way of life. Yeah. Instead of yeah. just being like, oh, shit, I bet they've been doing this for years and I never noticed. Yeah. It's like, okay, oh, well, I'll just leave this alone. It's like, oh, maybe yeah. if, if no Cause one. Teenage, because he didn't have a problem with teenagers going there and going down each other yeah, and of fucking course. in the car. Yeah. He doesn't have a problem with that. <laughs> right. Fear is such yeah. a weird motivator for human beings. Like, it oh, is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It causes a lot of the spite, I sure. think. Like, sure, it, sure. it causes a lot of not knowing. Fear keeps people ignorant, especially in LA or bigger cities. There's all, there's, Majority of people from small towns, and we all make fun of people from small towns that never leave. I mean, anything if you act like you don't, yeah, it's lying. A trope. right? Yeah, we yeah. all do that. Yeah. We all do. And but it is frustrating when people from small towns are like, "You don't know what it's like here in the big. You guys in the big city." And we're like, "We do. We yeah. live there. We grew up. We yeah. do know what it's like." <laughs> Almost right. everyone you I know <laughs> don't know what it's like in the big city because you've never fucking left. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is that ignorance. And it, most of it is fear. It's like there's a great Kathleen Madigan story. She asked one of her cousins or something who was complaining about this town so stupid and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, why don't you move somewhere else? And her reply was, but where would I go? <laughs> oh, no. And Kathleen was like, solid point. I don't know why I could. I can't argue that. <laughs> and she's right, right. You can't argue that. Yeah, yeah. If someone's like, I, I don't, there's nowhere else to go. Right. No, there is only other places to go. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's the, the entire rest of the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that fear of like people are different on the in, in you know, in the county beside ours. Right. Yeah. Which is hilarious because locally everyone gets a rival, like even the town next to you in the county, that's your rival. Oh yeah. But yeah. if you move to fucking LA and you run into that person, you are best friends. Right. Right. Yeah. I found that with um Wisconsin people. When I was back in the Chicago area, Wisconsin was like like they were mad at Chicago people for vacationing there and there was like all kinds of sports rivalries and stuff. Then anytime I run into Wisconsin people here, we're just talking about like steak and shake and a bunch of Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Like we're 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 in all of a sudden. Yeah. It's yeah. that weird tribal fear thing where yeah. like yeah, it's like, oh no. <laughs> here we're in the same tribe. They're totally different people. A few of those things lead into this story here. The entire Lamborghini car brand uh, oh, yeah. is a thing that has been achieved out of spite because it was a fight between the guy who founded uh, the Lamborghini tractor brand, which was originally what the Lamborghini company did. They built like farm tractors in Italy. He loved Ferrari cars. And so Ferruzio Lamborghini loved Ferrari cars, but apparently he wasn't good with a stick shift and he kept burning out the clutch on it. And so then he had to keep taking it to the Ferrari dealership or factory where it would cost a thousand lira to get the the thing fixed. And this kept happening. And so then eventually he was like, I own a tractor factory. Maybe they can just fix it for me this next time. And the guy at his factory said, hey, this part you keep breaking, it's the same 10 lira part that we use in our tractors. It's just tractor part. Uh, so so you don't need to pay them all this money to do that. Uh, so that that's legitimately frustrating. And then Lamborghini eventually met Enzo Ferrari, and they got in a big uh, argument. Lamborghini said, you build your beautiful cars with my tractor parts. And Ferrari said, you are a tractor driver. You are a farmer. Don't complain that you get to drive the most beautiful cars in the world. And so then... <laughs> Solid points on both sides. <laughs> and, and then Mr. Lamborghini, who was only known as a tractor maker at the time, was like, fine, I will build a better sports car than you out of just pure rage and fury at you. Wow. And so then they founded the car-making division of Lamborghini in 1962 and had cars delivered to customers by 64. Jesus. And then ever since, that, that's been a brand. It's been a whole thing. And that people love. 
Yeah, people. people yeah. Will, and I think most people love it because the doors go up. Yeah, it's cool. That yeah. was one of the first cars I was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Even now, really like cool. the fucking Tesla, the, the SUV. Yeah. LSD, oh, Lamborghini style doors. They go up. <laughs> yep. And I, the first time I was like, oh, that's like a normal SUV. And then they show the doors. I was like, well played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Can you still buy a Lamborghini tractor? I was thinking that too. So you you can. <laughs> How fucking and cool they, would that be? They what they did is they spun off uh, like ten years ago. They spun off the tractor division to a German company, but it's still a Lamborghini brand. I wow. think I think that bull logo was originally like a farming. Yeah, thing. yeah, that yeah, makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and okay. it's it's you can still get. They look really rugged. Uh, they're really like oh, extremely yeah. industrial farm tractors. Yeah. I was wondering, yeah, if it just looks like the Batmobile or something. And like, you put them in fourth, that motherfucker will open yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> just try to it pass be, me on the road, motherfucker. <laughs> I do want to see somebody with like a farm tractor and the doors go up at a very fancy <laughs> win. Like, <laughs> it's just farming in a tux. <laughs> Hello, my name is Mr. Monsanto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, uh, yeah, they built that entire brand just because like he was really mad. It's also partly because like. Lamborghini was bad at driving cars, which is just fun to me. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was, he couldn't read the window shift. And then <laughs> yeah. sounds like Ferrari, Mr. Ferrari's kind of a dick. Yeah. He's, he's just like, like a pretentious a definite elitist. Yeah. yeah he was yeah, a fucking classist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, Mr. Farmer is like, listen, dick, I'm just as rich as you. <laughs> right. Right. I just make a different. Product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still blue blood motherfuckers. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> All right. I'm going to show you. Yeah. <laughs> it's because he didn't get the respect he wanted from another person of his class. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's look at let's look at some musician stories. Uh, we got a uh, we got one here about Frank Sinatra. Uh, this is from six musicians who made entire albums just to say fuck you uh, yeah. by Cedric Votes. And Frank Sinatra was at Capitol Records, and he was uh, enormously successful and famous and good. And then he was like, hey, Capitol, I would like to have my own, like, micro-label under Capitol. Right. Like, I'll still work here. It'll just be, like, the Frank label or whatever it is. Yeah. And for some reason, they didn't say yes. I, I don't understand why. It's really foolish. It was the days before that became... That, oh, that's that's, that's like fairly right. standard now. Like that is a, a thing now, but maybe that, you know, like Rock yeah. Rockefeller Records is like a division of Def Jam, which is a division of Capital, which is a division of yeah. U- Universal Music Group. But at the time, it wasn't as uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, disparate as that. And Capital right. was like, oh, we even though it's all it's all going into the same jar at the end of the day. Why yeah. they wouldn't have just gone with it? Well, well, well most of that's because yeah. of distribution. Because of this, this was the precedent. Because they lost fucking Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's big. Yeah. <laughs> and they learn like, oh, shit. Well, and what they can do is they don't have to hire A&R people as much if these artists are going out and creating and finding these other artists and putting on their label. And yeah. then it's siphoning up. It's just a corporate structure is all it is. It's right. like you're just put it's or a mafia structure. If you even <laughs> yeah. want to go deeper yeah. than that. It's a cartel. You're, yeah, you're just paying um, like respect up. Yeah. Which is what they took that model off off of. And then they don't have to pay A&R people to go find these people. They they have artists who are doing it who get a little cut. Yeah. But that smart. shit was about power. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. That's all and, that is. And then Frank was like, I will take the power back. Because what <laughs> happened is he just like decided not to focus on capital. And he just started his own independent label called Reprise. But there were still a few years left on his capital contract. So what Frank did is he found himself in a sales battle with his own records, like the capital version and the reprise version at the same time. And then he just started. The first thing he did was Capital released an album called Come Swing With Me. Yeah, yeah. So Frank released an album called Swing Along With Me the same month, <laughs> uh, leading to a legal battle where they made him change the name a little bit. And he only changed a little bit. That's so funny. And then from there, he put out good albums on his own label and then made his next Capital album in two hours of recording yeah, total. fuck him. And it had like a lot of audio issues that they didn't fix. And there was one part where he got a line wrong and they were like, oh, we need to retape that line. And he just tore up the sheet music in front of them. And then the rumor is they had someone else re-sing that line and just kind of massaged it to make it sound like it was Frank. (laughs) So it just led to this 
like Frank Sinatra built an entire company. And I'm, I'm realizing from what you guys picked out, like built the modern version of how people who are at the top of the music game do their records. Yeah. Uh, just because he was mad at capital. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> there's. You know, there's a lot of examples of that, like throughout music history of just somebody hates their record label. They've been yeah. signed to X amount of albums and they have like one left to do and they just shit something out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is very, very similar. And this actually it's funny because uh, Reprise Records keeps coming up in this thing because Reprise Records is also cut to like 2001 fires Wilco. And then they and then they <laughs> they get on with some other label because they he, they presented Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is like their, you know, oh, most yeah. like seminal album Seems. and reprised records is like, no. <laughs> and they dropped them and then they release it off of the, they had to go somewhere else. Reprised records uh, is where Neil Young was was signed to. He had done uh, up to this point in 1981. I think he had done almost 20 albums with them. And Neil Young is like he's one of the most prolific uh, yeah. artist just because he puts to this day well, he's just an artist yeah he's, he's an not artist a commercial and, person truly. he's an artist that's yeah. why he puts out so much material that's why it's honest that's why some of it's terrible yeah some of it's, and some of it's amazing yeah. 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 yeah he's yeah. written some of the greatest songs ever and just pure dog shit yeah. but he just keeps creating to this day Neil Young usually puts out an album every year pretty yeah, much and he always does his own album covers which is my favorite because it's literally like one was like like a cell phone camera not an iPhone but like an old school like 2003 cell phone camera picture of him and he just wrote Neil Young Fork in the Road and that was the oh. album title <laughs> there's also his album I think it's called Silver and Gold it's uh -huh. a it's a really really grainy weird picture and it's from a Game Boy camera oh yeah Paul McCartney did that too yeah. actually yeah Driving Rain <laughs> was a Game Boy camera as well yeah cover um, of his album it's but great. yeah <laughs> the last album Neil releases under uh, Reprise Records and his contract is in 1981 it's an album called Reactor <laughs> It's like re hyphen act hyphen tour hyphen. It's like kind of like hard edge a little bit. Like it's, it's shoegazy a little bit. Like it's, it's oh, kind of cool. cool. Pre grunge a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, he gets signed to Geffen records. And if you don't know, David Geffen is just about the biggest shithead who's ever lived. Uh, <laughs> and he uh, assigns Neil to Geffen records in 1982. He puts out this album that is, have y'all heard trans the Neil Young album trans? Part of it, it's it was really, uh, it's one of the curious ones. It's amazing. So if, if you're listening to this, after this podcast is done, do yourself a favor, go on YouTube, just type in Neil Young, Transformer Man, and check out that song. The entire album is done on a synthesizer, and his all of his vocals are done into a vocoder. That's it. Yeah, that was, yeah I've heard that And one. so it's literally Neil Young just going, Transformer Man. Like, just like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. But the actual story behind it is really touching. It was, he has his son who is uh who's born autistic yeah and his son really enjoyed he bought a vocoder just to fuck around with it because he's neil young and his son loved it so anytime he spoke to his son through the vocoder his son like really reacted to it like really liked it so he decided yeah. to do an entire album that like sounded the way he thought his son would hear his music that's so cool. And so it's like this cool story, but it's also completely doesn't sound a goddamn thing like Neil Young. Well, you don't right. have to release it. You <laughs> right. can just make it for your son. Right. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Neil's yeah. like, no, everyone needs to hear this, right? Because you're listening. Yeah, I mean, he's an artist. You can't just burn him a CD or whatever. Yeah. You just say, hey, son, I made you this. I'm, I happen to be a very talented recording artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think you will like this specifically. It's also got a cover of uh, Mr. Soul by Buffalo Springfield on it. So it's pretty good. Oh, through a vocoder? Yeah, the whole oh, thing's that's... vocoder. <laughs> that's and this amazing. is also around the time he's like doing like Human Highway and like hanging out with Devo. So it's it's very of the era, right? Yeah. So he turns this in to, to David Geffen and he's like, we'll release this, but you have to give me a country album. You know, oh. something that sounds like your, your normal Neil Young country rock kind okay. of stuff. Yeah. And because Neil's an asshole, he takes him very literally and submits to him an album that eventually is released under the title Old Ways. That is a straight up Nashville country record with like Willie Nelson on it. Steel guitars like it's, you know, because he said country record. That's though. exactly. And he, he didn't took say him, folk. Yeah, he didn't say rock. folk rock. He yeah. didn't say, you know, yeah. Laurel Canyon, you know, he didn't uh, say like uh, Western Cowboy or something. Yeah. 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 So he <laughs> gives him this like very country album and they are like, we're not releasing this. 
we want you to do rock and roll. And so at that point, <laughs> you should have said that. So at that point, <laughs> Neil Young records and they release uh, in 1983, everybody's rocking. And it's credited not to Neil Young, but to Neil and the shocking pinks. And he's on the front cover in an Elvis jumpsuit with a huge pompadour. Oh yeah. And it's a rockabilly album because <laughs> they asked for rock and roll and Neil's being a dick at this point. So it's him doing, you know, like Bill Haley kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. He does like a <laughs> bright lights, a big city gone. To my baby's head. Like it, it's good. Uh, I like Neil Young and I like rockabilly music. So when I listen to it, I'm like, this is pretty cool. But yeah. Again, completely uncommercial. So it, that comes That's out in amazing. That comes out in August of 1983. In December of 1983, David Geffen sues Neil Young for 3.3 million dollars, arguing that the albums were unrepresentative of his own music. So he Man. got so Neil Young got sued for not sounding like Neil Young <laughs> <laughs> after being after following instructions. Uh, Did like they win twice huh? over? I think he countersued and they settled or something like that because like, you can't yeah. prove. That this isn't him. Yeah. Well, it's like, no, it's right. you said this and I did this. Yeah. Well, and this is the but, same era of John Fogarty getting sued for sounding too much like John Fogarty. <laughs> like, like Credence Clearwater Revival, whatever record, I think they came out on CBS and John Fogarty put out Centerfields on some other record label. And he has that song, The Old Man Down the Road, which they argued was the same song as Run Through the Jungle. And so, oh. so CCR's old record label sued John Fogarty because he sounded too much like John Fogarty. And you're like, that's <laughs> all of his shit sounds, that's why we like CCR. They're, Just a sign you have too much money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You sound too much like you so see you in court <laughs> right like, uh we're all doing pretty good then. <laughs> so in 1985 they eventually because geffen is just pissed at this point they put out the country album old ways so even though it was recorded in in 83 it's put out in 85 and then weirdly they let him uh, he has to finish out his contract so he puts out landing on water which is not good and i'll say oh, this as yeah, i'm an no. i'm a neil young freak i i i you know i i can i can apologize I for, to say that. for most of his stuff but <laughs> landing on water evident. is awesome uh, you know so much shit about like both of us are like okay yeah. <laughs> he's great but the last two things so he gets back on reprise uh, reprise and as soon as as soon as he does he i think he puts out one one record with them and then the next record he puts out is freedom which has rocking in the free world which is like his biggest record it's huge yeah so yeah he just comes back he's like all right here fuck you guys here's this um and the last little little tidbit i had here one of my other favorite bands of all time rem oh yeah turn okay. down Geffen Records and release Green with Warner Brothers because of how they treated Neil Young. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I, I'm so always yeah. shocked. Oh, the complications. <laughs> yeah, By, yeah. Well, it's that's a fame thing, I think, blinds people to, they're like, well, they won't treat me like that. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's, to Michael oh. Stipe's credit, he was like, I'm an no, artist. This motherfucker has a history of yeah. saying one thing and doing another. Yeah, yeah. So let's go over here. He may be offering us more money now, but he's going to fuck us in the end. Right. Well, yeah, it's like right. what you're saying. He's like, I'm right. an artist. I want, you know, to, to, you know, people, people can look to Neil as an example of like, yeah, he did a bunch of weird shit, but he never compromised his, you know, himself yeah. at all for, you know, to be in the pursuit of being commercial or whatever. We got time for one or two more stories. One of them is David Bowie who got signed into a terrible, horrible contract. This is from five famous people whose best work was motivated by revenge by Max Wellius Pedelock. <laughs> uh, David Bowie had a sleazy manager named Tony DeFreeze who was getting a, a, like, a just far too enormous of a cut of his money. Mm -hmm. uh, Bowie found out kind of this was going on as he was doing, it's called his Berlin Trilogy. Yeah. It's, it's three albums that he made a, a, that were a pretty more artistic and less commercially Lodger, successful. Lodger, Low, and... Uh, uh, Heroes, uh, yeah. Heroes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he was making these and he was like, oh, this is a terrible contract. I'm going to try to get out of it. And he found out the contract gave DeFreeze half of all royalties on Bowie's music until September of 1982, which was uh, some years beyond uh, that time. Yeah. And so he was like, OK, this sucks. I'm going to leave the contract anyway and then figure it out. And we don't have like testimony from anybody about what happened. But basically, 
while that contract was running out, David Bowie put out one more album, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, that only hit number 12 in the U.S. And then he did the song Under Pressure with Queen and gave them all the royalties so DeFreeze wouldn't get any. (laughs) (laughs) And then the minute 1983 rolled around, he put out Let's Dance, which sold 10 million copies and turned him into a stadium act. And then his next album was so commercial it went platinum, but people kind of don't like it now. It's called Tonight. Like David Bowie was like, I'm doing art music. I'm losing all my money. Soon as that's over, I'm going to make money. Like, <laughs> fuck that guy. That's that's what's going on. <laughs> it's, that's the Neil Young thing. I love that somebody, like, if you're that much of a kind of creative person that you you know where like the the pressure release valve is for like the time to be an artist and then the time to like rein it in and like yeah makes make, make some hits when well, and he's idiosyncratic like it's, it's hard to tell what he just wanted to do and what was revenge but it seems like there was some some vengeance in the timing of this yeah. like oh. within months of him finally getting out from under that he was like here's my most commercial album in decades well right. i Here think he knew yeah how to do everything he was supposed to do without giving them what they wanted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, I don't even think revenge as much as it feels like it's, oh, you've defined the game. Right. So I'm going to play the game the way you've defined it, and I'm going to beat you at it Yeah. more than revenge. Because what happens in my experience and what I've watched Revenge probably isn't the best word for what these people are doing. It is a motivation because if you're truly motivated by revenge, it will eat you alive and you will do things for the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's very true. I think it's it's, uh, corrosive. Yeah, I think with these guys that that I read this to the next guy, especially, is that they were just like, oh, okay, so this is how you've chose to lead this dance. So this is how we'll dance. Yeah. And then when <laughs> then I'll be the, done with and you. And then what you want from me, <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second, <laughs> the second I don't have to give it to you, I will release it into the work. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. the small, that's the smartest way to do revenge. Because yeah. he was still working on his career and getting famous and doing that and making himself know. Right. And give like just teasing enough, yeah. Right. Oh, because like all those albums, Queen. Okay, sure. Yes, all those yeah. albums yes. are are great. <laughs> yes, but, I will. Yeah. And I, but I guarantee you, if he didn't have those people doing what he was doing, Queen would have never saw that shit. Or they would have had to split it or yes. whatever. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. And then David Bowie would have been a little. I don't think Queen might have been as big because Bowie wasn't pushing to be at the time because he was just holding back the reins because he's like, I'm not giving you guys what you want. I'm going to give it to the world. But when you guys don't get it, and I don't think that's revenge. I think that is just pure calculation. I like angry motivation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Where you I have wronged that. me. Yeah. And I'm not going to get revenge on you because revenge is like where you're not even. Revenge is usually I'm going to destroy you. We're not even. <laughs> right, right. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. Revenge and I'll is burn I'm, myself down doing yes, it. Well, I will burn everybody's house down, yeah. including my own. Well, it's, yeah. it's it's similar to what we were talking about earlier. Is like you you exercise what amount of autonomy you have. And in this case, you're fucking with a creative genius. <laughs> so the amount of autonomy <laughs> they have is theoretical. Right. But when they weaponize that shit, it's going to turn into money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're it, well, it, and you it, can't do what David Bowie did for the wrong reasons. A lot of no, no. his yeah. genius is that it's all genuine and from a nice, good place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you are truly motivated by revenge, that's not a good place to be creating from. Yeah. Right, like and when the he's kind making, of stuff he's making. Like yeah. when he's making that Berlin trilogy, he really wants to make that music. As he just well, knows it's not and, as commercial. And as he other wants stuff. to do a shitload of cocaine with Iggy Pop too. Oh that yeah, was, yeah, I almost die. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. several <laughs> times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is in the process of making those records, he's also producing Iggy Pop. The idiot and lust for life are made in Berlin at the exact same time. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So him That's and Iggy crazy. Pop were just in Berlin shitting out amazing records and doing all of the cocaine in West Germany at the time. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty incredible. There's actually a record, my favorite David Bowie story, there's a record called Station to Station that he yeah, has, so good. he does not remember making. Oh, really? <laughs> David Bowie has had zero recollection of making that album, and it's one of my favorites. It's, it's amazing. It's yeah. a great record. I have but a couple it, sets 
recorded like that <laughs> when, I was, when I was drinking. Yeah. Oh. Like, you killed. I was like, I don't remember any. I don't, yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn. You're going to talk about the Pee Wee Herman one? Yeah, let, let's do that. Because that I one's mean, we'll, fascinating. We'll maybe go out on that. Yeah. yeah. Because it says that he didn't get SNL, and so out of revenge, he created Pee Wee's Playhouse. You can't calculate how big of a hit peewees was going to be because this one it seems like it was definitely the anger motivated him to do it at all because it's it's the comedian paul rubens who is just shorthand peewee in my head like right, that's all yeah. i would call him but paul rubens auditioned for snl and in 1980 it came down to him and gilbert gottfried and gilbert gottfried got it and so paul rubens uh, has said, quote, the Pee Wee Herman show was 100% created out of spite for not getting Saturday Night Live. He spent the plane ride back from New York plotting, just doing something. And then he did the risky thing of borrowing $5,000 from his own parents to make a show that they did as a stage attraction to just see what could happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He used to do it at the Roxy and yeah. stuff. You yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Like you can find old pictures of the Sunset Strip where it's like the Roxy and the Marquee is like Pee Wee Herman tonight. Well, he was a Groundlings guy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Groundlings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, yeah, and he put this on, and then from there, stage show becomes HBO special, becomes movie, becomes a TV show that in five seasons won fifteen Emmys, and during that same time, <laughs> SNL won three. So he, yeah, that's he the won. worst that was era. The shittiest SNL. time of that's when fucking that too, Dick- yeah. Imbersol came in. And yeah. All that. Oh, that's years. when they were like hiring like Robert Downey Jr. and like Michael Anthony Hall. And, and yeah. Yeah. Because 1980 is like immediately after the super famous original cast. That, yeah. That did the first everyone leaves. Murray, well, Murray Lauren leaves. Yeah. Lauren yeah, left. And Lauren left too. Yeah. And so they could have, they could have had the talents of Paul Rubens to help them. But instead he was like, I'm going to do something just much, much more popular and beloved. And right. Wanted. Like yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I don't know if that's a spite thing as much as like that is a. Like fire in the belly kind of. That is a fire in the, because like, like that's a weird way to define it is like my success is revenge over you not hiring me. (laughs) We're like, well, why didn't you just do that? Yeah. Right, right. If you could design (laughs) this fucking thing because of like, well, they didn't do this, so I did all this. You're like, right. why didn't you just do that in the first place? Right, yeah, it's, you don't need the inciting incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's it's like motivation. I I think that's years past being like, I just want to acknowledge that they fucked up and didn't hire me. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> that is a dig I'm at them. I'm sure it hurt your feelings at the time, but I've been not hired by several fucking prominent shows. <laughs> <laughs> and I never left being like, well, now I'm going to be a million. Yeah, you, I left going that I wanted to be a star. In the <laughs> and then when they said no, I was still like, still going to do it. I'm still going <laughs> to yeah. keep trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's a nice sentiment to round off with, too, is that like, as much as spite or anger or revenge can be a motivator, it seems like ultimately you want still want just positive reasons to do stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like these amazing things happen partly because of anger and stuff, and also to do something really good that doesn't eat you up, be positive. Yeah, there's been several shows not hire me, but I wasn't like, I'm going to be successful now out of spite. It was like, no, they should. I should have been in the running. I'm very talented and put in my work, and I'm not a fit right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm still going to go do the things I was going to do before. (laughs) It's weird. This is the mistake I think a lot of people on our side in Hollywood make, is they don't think about the industry's point of view and what they're truly trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. They don't think about it. They're like, why? They don't respect my art. And they're like, probably not. No, because they didn't get in this to do They don't respect most people's art. No, they don't. They're in it to make money. Yeah. And it's like they see a thing and they're like, so you have to know that going in that they're going to say the vaguest answers to everything because they don't truly know. Right. And they don't want to be wrong. So it's my favorite one is from Run, Ronnie, Run. Uh, It's Andy Richter and Sarah Silverman are the execs. It is the David Cross movie. Yeah, Yeah, it's Mr. Show movie. Yeah, it's Odenkirk and David Cross come in to pitch the show to these execs played by Andy Richter and Sarah Silverman. And Sarah goes, I'm for against it. <laughs> and I was like, that defi- that word <laughs> defines Hollywood. <laughs> that is the answer you get all. It's like, I'm for against it. <laughs> and then Andy Richter goes, I love it, but there's a part of me that hates it for loving it. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, this is the most brilliant scene I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, they should just show people that scene when they get off the plane. (laughs) 
It's just playing in LAX. Yeah. Yes. They're like, hey, this is what your life is now. Yeah. Well, because you're a well-adjusted, I think, headspace regarding that of just like, oh, well, they didn't like me because I, what for whatever reason, whatever. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. The opposite problem of that is, uh, and I, I, I love to end on this this sort of uh, reference here, is uh, you can go the other way, which is uh, Charles Manson, actually. Yes. Yeah. He comes to LA, everybody right. chubs up his wiener, and they're like, oh, you're the next John Lennon, man. You'd be great. And then they do one test with him. They're like, oh, this guy's a nut. And they oh, he ghost him. Oh, he happens to be insane. Yeah. Oh, he's insane. Right. And then they ghost him, and then and they start stab- getting stabby, stabby. So, yeah. Hollywood. Well, he the took beach. a real leap. He did. I mean, you're going to be a star. In a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? Right. I know another path. Yeah. We should right. all find the middle ground between working with the Beach Boys and being a murderer. Well, I also I think that's think, the thing to do. I think it also <laughs> it also shines a lot. Like it's probably easier to start a murder cult than it is to get a record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Billy Wayne Davis and Rivers Langley for bringing so many tales into into the stories we already had, you know, especially from their roots in in various parts of the South, Alabama and Tennessee in particular, uh, and also from being on the road and seeing the world. In our food notes, you will find the cracked articles that we all drew on in this episode and also the amazing stand-up comedy of Billy Wayne Davis and Rivers Langley. You will also find a link to a podcast called Goods from the Woods, where you can hear rivers every week. So check that out. And beyond that, check out our theme music. It's Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A space where I wish I could see Eddie Selzer, like, replying in tweets to the tweets from old-timey Warner Brothers, saying, like, nope, nope, I disapprove, I disapprove, no, no. Uh, But anyway, you can't, because that was history. My uh, current, present Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff, tips, and more stuff. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.